We're kicking off our 10th year of doing this podcast, and this particular episode is brought to you by Health IQ. Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance. To see if you qualify, go to healthiq.com slash fool and take the proprietary Health IQ quiz and potentially save up to 41% on premiums. It's Thursday, January 2nd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill with me in studio. The chief investment officer himself, Andy Cross. Thanks for being here, Chris. Ten years. It's it's the tenth year. We're kicking off the tenth year. So a year from now will be our tenth anniversary. So you, you, but we're kicking off year congratulations. ten. Congratulations! That's awesome. Hey. You're, you are really scraping the bottom of the barrel. If you're coming to me on January second here. <laughs> we're going to dip into the full mailbag, but let's start with the break that we just had because we were talking this morning. I. I I couldn't shut off my brain, my the business part of my brain over the the holiday break. Good for you. Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, I'll just share one of the ways because I'm curious um, your observations over the break. But literally, Christmas Day, the presents have been opened. They're back under the tree. It's sort of later in the day, and I looked at the presents under the tree, and I started looking at everything through the lens of ticker symbols. Which I think may be a sign of madness. Where I was just like, "Oh, We're genius!" Yeah, it was just I was just looking at these gifts, which were lovingly wrapped and you know bought with anticipation. Like just a lot of creativity and love went into the gifts. And at some point in the day, I just started looking at it yeah. and seeing the ticker symbols of like, oh, AMZN and Lulu and <laughs> CMG and you know, and all yeah. this sort of thing. But anyway, what during your break, what if any business observations did you have? I have I have young kids, Chris. So Christmas Day for me was just a blur of like lack of sleep from the night before, of course. And um, so so not so much on Christmas Day, but there were a few things. Um, Toby Lukey, who is the founder and CEO of Shopify, which which I think so many know, it's a fifty billion dollar company now. Um, provides software platforms for entrepreneurs. Uh, and one we just we've talked to and we really respect. He he wrote a great piece on Twitter, series of pieces, of course, but just talking about the Shopify culture and how they're different from when it comes when it comes to the people that they hire and how they think about development and just the way they go about making Shopify different from other uh, software companies, especially because they are not headquartered in. California or New York or even really Toronto, they're in Ottawa, Canada, and the way they develop and take time developing people. He wrote this line I found really just, it was just inspiring to think about how you're going to build a business. And he wrote, if we can help a young engineer or designer to get 10 years of career advancement in a single wall clock year, then we do it. If the student is ready and teach, the teachers will appear. We get to share that additional skill for the rest of the decade. And you just juxtapose that against the kind of grind that so many software companies go through. When employees come, they're just looking for equity. They're there for 15, 18 months, 20 months at the most, and then they jump. Not all companies, but they really do do this well. So that that piece that that Toby wrote, and it's out there on Twitter. If you he's at Toby, um, at T O B I. Um, I encourage anyone who really is a study, a student of business, to read that because it's very insightful. Uh, you had sent me the link right before we came in the studio, so I will. I'll put that out on the Market Foolery Twitter feed because, helpfully, 
Um, it all got aggregated. You know, you don't have to go. Yeah. I, I mean, I enjoy Twitter, but there are times where I'm like, oh my God, this is a 17 tweet thread. I think it was. But so, yeah. so the fact that. Uh, there's a site that aggregates stuff yeah, uh, on Threader, so I'll I'll include that. Yeah, link. so that was really interesting. Just from a from an observation perspective, to get to your uh, more direct question, um, I was in downtown Bethesda, Maryland, doing some shopping, picking up uh, something at the Apple Store, and they have a Peloton showroom there. Peloton, the um, fitness company um, that had really had a tough holiday season with one of their advertisements. Um, I did not realize how many showrooms they have. They have more than 74 showrooms across the country. 70% of those. Are what they call large format, um, which are fifteen hundred to two thousand square feet. So, in the big retail, compared to the Home Depot or um, Costco, it's tiny. But that's their large format, and then they have very small format stores. But I didn't realize how much they put into their showcasing, um, their their live showcasing versus just um, having the the solution. So, this is a place where people can go and try the bikes, and what. Frankly, kind of surprised me is that there were a lot of people in this store. This was during the holiday season, not on Christmas Day, obviously, but during the the holiday week, and uh, it just it was surprised me. There were people trying the bikes, talking to salespeople, learning about them, and these are very beautiful stores, Chris. Like just like their advertisements, which are a little bit, I think, sometimes I look at my training bike at my house compared to what Peloton has at their house and it's mine's in my basement or garage and surrounded by all kinds of stuff compared to the beautiful look of the Peloton studios or their um, commercials uh, but these studios are quite attractive and there were a lot of people in there so I've I've been a little skeptical of Peloton's ability to be able to last into the valuation it's shown the stock price since the IPO uh, but the, clearly they are resonating with some people and when it comes to using their showrooms it is interesting to because until you told me this morning, I was not aware that they had yeah. retail locations. It's going to be interesting in 2020 and beyond to see to what extent, if any, they look to grow that footprint. Because you have to assume that whatever metrics they're using to judge the success of those locations, if it's working, then I mean, I think right now they've got 75, 80 locations. Yep. That's not a particularly large base. So if they start to ramp that up, that's going to be. Uh, probably telling in a good way for Peloton. And they do have their um, studios that they spent a lot of money on, I think in New York and LA, and I think now London. Um, <clears throat> interesting, um, as of the last um, filing, they have more than $800 million in lease expenses, with 70% of that out beyond 2024. So they do have, now a lot of retail companies obviously have used use operating leases uh, rather than own the, the footprint. So, but clearly Peloton does have a lot tied. Into the retail experience that they're going to, I would imagine, continue to expand on. Uh, last thing I'll just add is uh, I'm a Disney shareholder, and like any good congratulations, Disney, as, uh, like any good Disney shareholder, I went to see Star Wars: uh, The Rise of Skywalker, and uh, very much enjoyed the movie. And check the numbers, uh, the box office receipts uh, for 2019. And even though it opened on December 20th. That movie finished sixth overall in U.S. box office receipts. For the whole year? For the whole year. That's incredible. So it was open yeah. for 11 days of the year, and it finished sixth but overall. In the high bar that Star Wars pictures have opened with, it was one of the lower performing ones. It was, Did I read that correctly? Um, it, yeah, it was definitely lower yeah. um, than the last. Two in this trilogy, but we'll yeah. we'll see where it ends up. Well, I've not seen it. I'm I am excited to see it, just frankly because it'll get me out of the house. <laughs> Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. Question from Robin Rifkin in Seattle. 
writes, looking at the price increase we've seen from Apple over the past year, do you believe the company is, for the first time in a while, by the numbers, overvalued, and now merely a hold at best? What about big pricing increases over the past year, like Microsoft and Match Group? Would love to hear your thoughts. Thank you, Robin. Just to put some context around that, Apple shares up around 80% in 2019, Microsoft close to 60%, and Match Group was nearly a double in 2019. I like the way he phrased the question, because it wasn't just, hey, do you think this is overvalued? It was, Hey, if you own this stock, is it now in that category where it's, I'm just going to hold this? Uh, so it was an incredible 2019 for the markets in general. The S&P 500 was up close to 30. percent I think almost all asset classes were up in 2019. That's that's fairly rare, I believe. Um, and the, the, obviously, the past decade has been fantastic time to be a long-term investor. Um, the the Apple, Microsoft, so many of these large tech companies had done so well. Apple was really the the from the stock performance, looking across at the cream of the crop, considering how large it was. Now, at the beginning of the year, the stock was actually very reasonably priced. It's now a little bit more expensive. The multiple has expanded. It's more than probably twenty times earnings, twenty four times earnings, but. But at one time, Apple was, you know, in the 12 to 15 times earnings, selling cheaper than the S&P 500. Now people concerned about the slowing growth, and clearly Tim Cook and that team have been operating that business from a strategic side as well as a customer side, and a solution side, a product side, um, in ways that have resonated with investors as they've moved really into not just the hardware game, but uh, into wearables and services and solutions. So really, kudos to that team. Because they've done that very well, and investors have have woken up. Um, I think what's very interesting is the valuation case for a company like this. It really depends on first of all if you are looking at this as a long term investor. I still believe Apple is a business that you can hold even at uh, a, a price that's near uh, thirty dollars per share and a one point three trillion dollar business because of all the great things they are doing in the emerging growth areas uh, that they are investing into. I mentioned wearables and services. And solutions. That's the real growth catalyst to Apple. Um, the stock is probably, in my mind, at this at this level, priced to where a, a case that it's it likely is not. It certainly it will be very hard to generate the kinds of returns that they saw last year. But the valuation case, I think, you have to give a company that's proven itself like Microsoft and Apple a little bit of room. They also offer a little bit more ballast to your portfolio. If you have the likes of a Shopify and Apple in your portfolio, while both tech companies both very different, and the stocks will probably perform a little bit differently over the long term, um, even though most stocks are kind of correlated. I think there's some differences there. So my 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 thinking around the valuation for those. Companies Companies is it's not so much just the past year, but really thinking about: Do I want to own this business for the next three to five years? Do I think that the leadership team and the position of the company is going to be able to accrue value over time? Apple's making the right investment, not just in their business, buying back stock. You get a little dividend. So I would feel free to give those kinds of companies that have earned the right a little bit of multiple expansion. Also, from a market cap standpoint, you look at you know Apple, one point three trillion, yep. Microsoft, one point two trillion, Match Group. It's had a great run. 
It's only a twenty-three billion dollar company. Yeah, and much different. And it, it, it will it will um, sit in your portfolio differently than uh, an Apple or Microsoft will, even the likes of a Facebook, Google, or Alphabet, I should say. Uh, so again, uh, the, the real question isn't so. First of all, you have to be investing in these business. In our mind, you have to be investing in these businesses for the next three to five years and beyond. And if they are making the right investments that will generate both sales growth and earnings growth over time. Time, uh, the stock in the in the near term may seem um, slightly overvalued, and traders or algorithms may react to that by selling it off. But long term, if they are going to accrue value to shareholders, and they can do that by growing sales and earnings, the stocks usually perform and and uh, move in lockstep to the business performance. Quick shout out to Health IQ. If you're a runner or a cyclist, or you know maybe Santa brought you a Peloton. Or you're a vegetarian or a vegan, you deserve to be rewarded for your hard work with more affordable life insurance rates. Health IQ can save you up to 41% because physically active people have significantly lower risks for heart disease, cancer, and diabetes. But these savings are exclusive to Health IQ. You're not going to find them anywhere else, and you must qualify to get a special rate. So, how do you do that? You go to healthiq.com/fool, take the proprietary Health IQ quiz. And depending on your score, as well as other related qualifying factors, you can save up to 41% on your life insurance premiums compared to other providers. Again, that's healthiq.com slash fool. Question from Dan Beal in the UK, who writes, I have a couple of stocks that are currently priced 10 to 15% above the analyst price targets, and they've been lingering at this price for a solid six months. They all seem to be low-growth, dividend-paying companies, what should I take from this? Is there a general rule of thumb or opinion of what analyst behavior implies, or should I stick to ignoring what they say, because they are almost always wrong?" And then he adds, parenthetically, apart from you guys, of course. Um, He concludes by writing, I'm 26 years old. I love the show. Please give a shout-out to my girlfriend, Emma. I've talked about investing so much that she is now a fan of the show and is even considering buying some shares. Shout out to Emma. Emma, thanks for listening. Congratulations, great. Emma. You know what? And hopefully, just to you know, give a little unsolicited advice here. Hopefully, uh, there's something that Emma is very passionate about in her life that Dan has taken an interest in, just as she has taken an interest in investing. I hope so. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we can all we can all benefit from <laughs> from our significant other's interest. I think um, it's a it's a. Interesting question and a good question because you hear so much about it on the general media, not so much of the Motley Fool, but but if you're listening to the wider media, they talk a lot about analyst pricing and this sort of thing. The the very first thing, Dan, you have to understand is the analyst price targets are almost all one year. They are paid and um, rewarded based on how their their performance is does over um, a very short time period compared to the way that we think about this. So when they say we think the stock we put a forty dollars price target on the stock, they really are looking at the next twelve months based on on what they see. Um, the real value to those calls, by the way, Chris, is what is behind the scenes. Like why are they? What what are the business reasons, the logic reasons, the valuation reasons? Unfortunately, those don't make the the headlines. You right. don't you don't hear about those. You just hear about the analyst call, and you tend to just see the analyst call. So, uh, as Dan mentioned, we tend not to spend a whole lot of um, thought around that. Um, uh, 
Instead, we really want to focus on where that business and the team, as we talked about with the Apple, where where that is going. So, the fact that it's ten or fifteen percent higher um, than the analyst target, I wouldn't worry so much about that. In fact, I wouldn't worry about that at all. I would much more focus on how the business is performing. Um, it's, it, I think, especially he, if he's concerned about some of the lower growth dividend stocks, um, those tend to have much more. Um, without having stats in front of me, data in front of me, they I would imagine they would have higher. Accuracy um, targets from the analysts, uh, but again, I just don't think that's something that you really the price target per se is something you don't have to worry about if you are investing the way that we are thinking about. I, I, no one on my team thinks about the analyst price targets at all. We never talk about it because we're all looking at the next five years of the business. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That is the thing that gets the headline. Yeah, is the price target, and it's the least interesting thing to yep. me. I'm always I'm I'm interested generally in. Analyst reports. I'm just interested in what is their thinking yeah. behind whatever number they come. And up. and I will say, uh, you know, sometimes analysts, I think they get panned. They are very smart people, and they are a lot of times they come from the inside of the industry. They go to the the banks or the investment firms, and they go onto what's called the sell side to produce these these targets. So their analysis is very good. It's just that the track record for one year, it's a, that's a coin flip, Chris, for most investors, and we just don't think that's the way. So Emily, if you are listening to this, <laughs> don't. Don't think about those price targets or the one-year um, investing time frame. Really focus on on the next five years and own those businesses that will be able to accrue those shareholder gains you believe for that time period. And in the in the meantime, in one year, you might as well just flip a coin for that. And without naming a company or recommending a stock, Emma, buy a few shares. Absolutely, find a company that you understand how the business works. And um, and we've talked about this before. Yeah. Once you own shares of a company, even if it's just a couple of shares, that's when you really start to ramp up your learning about that business and how it works. That is so true, Chris. So, like the my my advice to someone just kind of getting started is always think about first um, index funds. If you can invest index funds or very um, uh, ETFs, get started putting some dollars in there, and then start following some businesses and buying some shares in some businesses that you like. Those stocks, in fact, by the way, Emma, one of the like unfortunately one of the almost best things that can happen is if the stock or the business underperforms of the first stock that you buy because you will. Learn Learn so much from that experience. Um, it's almost like if your stock just like triples over the course of you know <laughs> a year and a half or three years, you may feel great, but you you might not have learned as much. But the important thing, like Chris said, is just to get started. Buy a few shares if you can, especially nowadays when trading commission costs are just almost zero or or definitely zero. Andy Cross, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendation for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.